Hi, everybody. So today in our author's corner, we have Michael Blaine, who has written a book, he, The Invisible Walls of Dana Moore, which is the Clinton Correctional Facility in upstate New York. Michael, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. So um, this is fa this book is fascinating to me uh, because I have covered human trafficking worldwide. I've interviewed traffickers um, on the outside of the correctional facilities. So um, let, let's get into, you know, how did you become a correctional officer? Because when I read your book, I mean, this is sort of a family affair. Um, you've got generations. Your great uncle worked there. Yes, my great uncle worked at, at Bandanamore, which is the town that uh, Clinton Correctional is located in. Right. Um, World War One vet, and he appreciated the peace and quiet. He worked on what was called TB Hill back right. when Bosis was running rampant. So, so this is 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 it? I've never been to Danamore, New York. So, is the, is this sort of like a large employer for the community? Oh, it's the largest. It's it's the place is huge. Um, and the facility is huge because, I mean, in the book, you talk about how the, there's like a thousand. Well, I guess the total, well, the total population for the inmates was approximately 20 or 2,876 or so in that vicinity. Um, but, but the people that work there were th a thousand. Oh, thousands, thousands, because just officers alone, just the the average frontline officer, there was typically anywhere from 900, 950, depending because of job cuts, different things, the number would fluctuate. But now that number is probably closer to a thousand. So that's just the officers. Then you have your supervisors, all of the ranks, and you have your all your civilian staff. Okay. So at the same time, this was put on the map because of a famous escape. But walk us through when when you start when did you start there? I, well, I, I started my date in the academy, the start to the academy, which is mm -hmm. our seniority date was June 27th of 88. So, so 1988 and you, you worked there until two, two, 2015, as I recollect. Uh, July 24th of 2014. 14. Okay. So this is before the 2015 famous escape. Yes. So in the book, you, you, you know, when I got into it, I mean, you, you basically give sort of the day by day and, and you design this and, and it's, it's very well written in terms of, of making the reader understand if they've never been in a facility, you know, the different buildings, the churches that were there, the history of it, um, the, the different units. Is that the correct word I should be using? Well, there are many different units, but, you know, the house, the cell blocks, or they also refer to as housing units. So in the book, you talk about how when you're a correction officer and you came up through the ranks, the the whole, the, 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 you're never supposed to develop a close relationship with those who were behind bars. That's sort of the rule of thumb and that's part of the training. And you mentioned a very poignant moment that's, that uh, before your car accident, that one of the, inmates had met with a priest, obviously Catholic. It gave him a scapula, okay, um, yep. to protect him. And that he, he gave that to you before you had your head-on car crash. That is correct. That is correct. So what ha what happened to the relationship with when you returned months later? I, with I, 
Yeah, I actually got transferred during my recovery. Um, I got transferred back to Dannemora. That facility was in Green. I was Greenhaven Correctional down in Stormville, New York. Just right. below. And um, while I was recovering, I was out for quite some time. Um, I was badly, badly injured. Um, I was transferred while I was recovering. Did you ever, did you ever meet that man again? Did yeah. you? No, no. Okay. But I thought, I thought that that was a, that was not something that I was expected to read when I was reading your book. It's, it's one of those things in life. Um, you know, this is, I don't know if you're going down this road later on, but as a hypnotherapist and hypnotist, um, you learn that there's no coincidences in life. Everything is fate. And so Things don't always make sense at the moment, right? Life they do. So, tell me why you wrote this book. Um, I was wronged so badly. I always had the idea in the back of my head about the experience, because there is so much unknown. People go by facilities, local jails, prisons. There's a wall. Nobody realizes what takes place behind that wall. It's a whole society enclosed. Mm -hmm. You have basically a government, you have administration, you you have control, you have basically police, you have food service, you have an industry, you have inmates go to the commissary store, they have recreation, the gym, they have all these different things. And it's just like society, but it's controlled. And, And so it's very, if you appreciate history if you appreciate um and if you have a law enforcement interest what have you you appreciate where you're at and the individuals that are around you because we're all we we all have different life experiences and if you embrace it and not embrace it not just but i just appreciate where you're at and it, it just overwhelm it's overwhelming especially danamora facility like danamora because every facility has a history uh, maybe infamous criminals. It may be um, an, an, an event that took place there. Mm-hmm. Greenhaven was this uh, Donna Payant was a female officer that was killed there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, and, and so um, and Clinton has the, probably one of the most incredible histories um, of all the facilities in the state. Sing Sing known as one of the older ones. Auburn is the oldest, but, Every Attica, everybody knows of Attica, but they we all they all have a special history, and such as Lucky Luciano having been in our facility, um, which I wrote about. He, yep, he wasn't the only one. David Berkowitz. Yes, I never met the son of Sam. I never met him, but he was there uh, in Lower H Block uh, when I was training. But I but I never I was never in that block when when I was there for training. Um, and he, by the time I returned as as an officer after my recovery from that car accident being transferred, I never he had already transferred out to another facility. So I'm interested to know this. Um, I mentioned this to you just a few moments ago before we turned on the camera. Having covered human trafficking all over the world, I've, I've you know I've met traffickers, I've interviewed pedophiles, I've, I've interviewed people who are into labor trafficking, doctors who are involved with organ trafficking. <clears throat> So I see them sometimes on the outside of a facility, a correction facility, a prison. Tell me what it's like to meet some of those people inside. First of all, do officers know what those people are charged with if they're just an ordinary guy off, 
off the street who happens to be behind bars? We're not supposed to. And okay. the logic behind that is you treat every inmate the same. Everybody gets treated the same. Um, and, and, but it's in, you, but in the book, you do mention that some, you, you knew some of the charges of the guys that were oh, there. You can't help but find out. I mean, the, the cons know, um, you, everybody, you know, they'll point out, uh, that's so-and-so, um, there was one referred to as the happy land, um, uh, guy that had a place called happy land in New York city. And I remember being in the mess hall one day, they go, that's the happy land guy. And, and, and you know, it, all these infamous criminals, cause we had a special unit there and, uh, there, but you just treat them as regular inmates. Tupac was there and just treat them as an inmate. Don't. So, so is it true? Because we have always been told, I mean, we know the stories as, as, you know, journalists that, you know, sometimes that when the pedophiles and the traffickers, especially if they go after children, you know, don't get treated well and sometimes are killed on the inside. That used to be a very true statement. Um, when I was, a young officer down in Greenhaven. Um, I ran the, on the afternoon shift, I ran the A1 company protective custody unit. That was bought one company and it was designated protective custody. One row of cells and I was in charge of it. And nearly every inmate on that unit had some type of sex offense. It was a given back then. It was a given. If you were a sex offense, a rapist, uh, something like that, you were going to go to protective custody. And that was going to be your history for the most part, for almost all your career in prison. Now, and I saw this changing as a lieutenant, my last few years, the amount of sex offenders in prison is off the chart. And it's become normalized. It's like society that says, like, um, it's trying to ab normalize abnormal behavior. Mm -hmm. They had a sex offender unit in uh, Clinton, uh, up in Dinamore. I was the afternoon watch commander in the annex just before I retired. And we had a special housing unit for the sex offenders. And you can spot them a mile away. Do they get rehabilitated, Michael, do you think? My opinion? Hell no. There's no rehabilitation. There is simply something not correct with their wiring. Um, it's, it's, I've seen it repeatedly, their behaviors. Um, I've, you know, in dealing with them as a lieutenant for disciplinary hearings, um, it's, it's just incredible how when they don't get their way, their, 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 their switch kicks in and they try to, to it almost try to intimidate and they get this rage and I can see how a child would be fearful, uh, but, but it, it, it's, it's, it's just consistent in that type of crime. The behaviors uh, just, it, 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 they're, I, I just hate to, it's almost always, you can peg them, their behavior, the way they look, the way they act. It's very, very, very consistent. And I've seen this many, many times. Describe that because I can hear I can hear you know the audience probably someplace out there saying well what kind of behavior what 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 goes on because you're seeing them after they've been convicted they're behind yeah. bars what do you see that we would never see well it's it's almost like it's almost like 
the prison is a reflection of society. Mm-hmm. So if you've ever encountered a strange individual that has uh, an incredible interest in children, um, you notice many times, you know, they can't interact with adults. They're always trying to befriend children. Um, but they don't, but you don't have children, you don't have children exposed to them in the prison. So what is, what is it that, that they're exhibiting that you can spot? Well, first, okay. Very typically they are, um, they're very disheveled. They're all victim prone. They're, they're usually smaller than the average inmate. Their, their skin is very pale. Um, they, they just very almost, they pretty almost many times very scared of their own shadow, but you also get the very aggressive ones, you know, the in your face, I, um, let me put it correct, alternative lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Almost like they're proud of it. And, um, and proud, proud to be different. Well, yes, but now modern day corrections has put that on fast forward because if you go on the Department of Corrections own social media, the past year, you will actually see photos where they are promoting alternative lifestyles in prison. Explain that. It's right there on the departmental social media. You have uh, where you have grown men, grown men, and by my own assessment, they appear to be clearly sex offenders, just because they the way their 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 stature, their just their be just what I see on there, and they have them coloring, um, pride. L, I, I, I can't, I, LGBTQ plus all that stuff, coloring books. You have grown men coloring gay of coloring books. And this, these are people who are inmates in, how do they get the social media? Well, they don't use, they're not allowed to use social media, but the department took the photos and they want the department of corrections today is so hell bent on being politically correct that they are promoting this every month you have you have uh black or uh black pride hispanic pride uh, um gay pride or l whatever they call it lgbtq it's one after another after another after another there's um there's an event for everybody except for the heterosexuals uh the white heterosexuals it's it's absolutely off the chart and they are promoting this behind the wall now and there's no there's no shade on it. This is the most disgusting thing. And you have these special programs for all these individuals. So the, for the the department, although they teach you to treat everybody the same, they've created all these different classes within the prison system. And you know, that's actually that's actually kind of newsworthy because I don't think for for those of us who are on the outside, because normally journal, I mean, sometimes we are we. People behind bars will give interviews to journalists, but it's a culture in a society that we don't have access to. So I never would have thought to you said right now that they would have some of the quote unquote culture that we're having on the outside transforming on the inside of a space that is basically a lockdown. It's absolutely disgusting what they're doing 
they you, they're creating an issue. You you so you have all these special months. You have all these special programs. You have all these things taking place, mm-hmm. and the average inmate is pushed in the corner. Just like today's society. You asked why I wrote the that's book. In, that's interesting. So I understand your point. You're basically saying it, it's what happens inside is a reflection of what's going outside. Do you, st- you still t- you, you must still talk to your friends and your colleagues on the inside, even though you're retired? I do. I still, and it's so sad because every time that we talk, the guys start out with, Mike, you wouldn't last two minutes. <laughs> um, the, the, it, it's, it's, and it's sad because I had so much pride working in Clinton. And I think I showed that in the book. You do. You do, Michael. I, I did my job. And all I expected was my cousin and I never worked together one day. He, That's I, amazing. He, he retired. He was much older. And he retired years ago. And um, one day he, he told me we, uh, um, after I retired, I was recovering from a terrible infection from a hip replacement. He came to visit me. We'd never really had an in-depth chat. And he passed away last year. But he um, he told me, he goes, Mike, he goes, I really don't have much about you. He goes, all I've ever heard is you're a son of a bitch to work for. <laughs> and I laughed. I, and I go, you know, I've heard that a few times. I go, but you know, my my thing was simple with everybody. You come when you're supposed to come. You go when you're supposed to go. You be where you're supposed to be, do what you're supposed to do, and dress the way you're supposed to dress. We'll have no problems. And he goes, "Well, that's pretty damn simple." I go, "It's." I go, "I treat everybody the same." I go, "All these people want special treatment. They don't get it. I treat everybody the same. I just want you to do your job." So when the culture of people working at Clinton, because it's it's sort of a in a community town and it's the largest employer. When people have gone home and they go to their families and, and, you know, and they socialize in the community, did you guys all discuss what was going on inside? I mean, is was that, was that off limits? No, you, you, you don't tell your families what's transpiring. Mm-hmm. The guys, we, you know. But when you'd be with the guys. Yeah, I mean, even today. Even today, I'm, I'm in Florida now, and one of my best friends lit, moved to a community just, I, it takes 10 minutes to get there. Mm-hmm. And uh, we play golf, we get together, and every time we get together, we laugh about the things that, you know, some of the funny things we did. Because um, I was an off, I was a lieutenant, he was an officer, so if he wrote a misbehavior report on an inmate, it came to me. Mm-hmm. And so the inmates wouldn't bother him when they found all you have to do is mention my name, but they're going to end up in front of me and they would suddenly be much better behaved. And he would use me as a last resort and I'd have a little talk with them and get them back in line. And I had a few tools at my disposal to, to help to ensure that and, and it made things nice and smooth. And yeah. a lot of staff actually used my name. Threatening the image. Okay, I'll write a report. You'll end up in front of Blaine, and <laughs> I would go no, no, nobody would want to be in front of you. Yeah, well, and and it's kind of funny um, because 
the inmates knew that I was that close to my staff. Not all of them. You can't make everybody happy. The ones that want special treatment, they're not going to get it from me. So that I what they weren't fans of mine, which I'm okay with. But you're not going to get special treatment. You're going to get treated. Every, I expect the same of all my staff. And the cons knew you're going to get treated the same. Everybody's treated the same. There's no special, you know, informants. They want something special. You're not getting it. If you're, I always, I, I thought that was interesting in the book when you talked about informants that that nobody informs unless they want something. Exactly. They always, well, you you, it's going to benefit them in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, like a, for example, like a dormitory. Okay, he's got a job. I want. I want that job. Or he's really close to the officer, and I'd like to be closer to that officer. I, I, I'd like that job so I can get the little benefits. He's getting little privileges and benefits. I'd like that. And I encountered that many times. I saw that transpiring. Um, an officer was much too close. Um, I wrote about that. I touched on it in my book. And my, my captain didn't want that officer being disciplined. He didn't want an investigation. And it most certainly warranted an investigation. Um, so you, and so you, you know, you find out why and, um, and, but every, every single informant I ever had knew you're not getting anything. You're not, if you're giving me something, it's because it's very close to you and it could cause you harm or it could cause a staff member harm. Mm-hmm. So there's no, there's no favors. There's no fear. I because that's a bad, bad world to travel. No, I don't want I don't want everybody, I want people to go out and to read this, but I don't want you to give away, you know, the, the book. I want them to have the curiosity peak to buy it. But share share what is um the most poignant day because I there was one one story that was in the book about how <clears throat> revealing your personal life was a quirky no-no for an officer who was employed there <clears throat> so that your personal life was not known around the inmates. Yeah. And it was the day before you were getting married and you hadn't told anybody. No, the cons, I, I, I never believed that the cons had overheard anything, but um, the night before I was leaving for my wedding, um, I, you know, made my last round and um, my desk at the end of the company or end of the gallery at the far end. And I was walking through and one inmate said, Mr. Blaine. Like, yes, I've got something for you. What? The inmate was not a problematic inmate, mm-hmm. but I'm still cautious about approaching a cell. You should. It's, and, um, and so I've got something for you. And I'm like, Okay, I'm very cautious. What's what? And he's reaching for something. Then he pulled out a card and gave it to me. And it was a uh, card, congrat, you know, written, signed by the inmates on that company, congratulating me and wishing me well. On that note, Michael Blaine, thank you very much. Everybody, go out and buy if you're interested in how how the system works behind bars, the invisible walls of Danamora inside the famous Clinton Correctional Facility. Michael, thank you. Good luck with the book. Thank you so much. I really do appreciate it. And uh, yeah, uh, you'll, people will see in my book that uh, things that are modern day topics 
I was being negatively affected by back in 2003, 2004. Yes. And it's very, it's very, it's very interesting because people, some people did not pay attention to their jobs and it led to the escape in 2015. Yes, most definitely. I, I, I'm only one man and nobody wanted to listen. I their ear and I, I, in good conscience, I can say I warned them. And you told them it was going to happen. And then unfortunately it happened. I take no pride in being correct, but it is what it is. Michael, thank you very much. Thank you, ma'am. Have yourself a great day. You too.